from the fishy studios of Rodale Institute Radio at PBS 39 WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another aquatic episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Fish poop in their pond. Pond plants decay. Uneaten fish food becomes one with the muck and mire. On today's show, we'll reveal whether this Delawarean Delta is more like the Nile or the no-no for your garden. Otherwise, it's a phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy harvesting their herring. So we will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and iridescently innocuous inculcations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers because it's all coming up faster than the best tomato on the block because you knew how to handle your poop right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from the Rodale Institute studios at PBS 39 in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, beautiful Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, pond scum, good or bad? We will answer that, well, it can't be a burning question if it's scum, because it would probably put out a fire, but maybe you could set it on fire. Well, we will not discuss the flammability of pond scum. I must acknowledge that. But we will talk about whether it's good for plants after a lot of your fascinating phone calls at 833-727-9588. Tim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Good morning. Well, how are you, Tim? I'm doing right well. And where is Tim doing well? Mars Hill, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Uh, whereabouts in North Carolina is that? Just south of the Tennessee border. 3,600 feet in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Ah, boy, it's a shame you didn't get nice scenery, isn't it? <laughs> There's some scenery here. Yeah, a little bit. All right, what can we do uh, for Tim? I have an invading plant. It's an escaped ornamental called the chameleon plant. It's a hooten yahoo something cordata. Yep, right, right. I'm familiar with it. It's uh Originally sold by a place that no longer claims that they've ever heard of any such plant, and what are we talking about? Well, you know, uh, the chameleon plant is unusual in that this is an Asian invasive species. Not at all unusual that it was originally presented here as an ornamental, um, but I am su I was surprised. I, I, I saw that you were a possibility to call in today, and I wanted to refresh my uh, memory on it, and I'm, I was shocked to see so many nurseries still selling it. Yes, yes. There's one in the area that still sells it, but it says you must plant this in a pot and put it in the middle of your pond. Yep, there you go. Yeah, because it is a, a, um, a plant of wet places. So where's it growing? It's growing uh, in my asparagus bed. It's actually I'm sorry. From... I'm sorry, Tim. We're a little short. Thanks for calling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't anybody screen these? What's going on here? Whoa, you're in a world of trouble, baby. So it's growing in your asparagus bed. Now, um, one thing that I find surprising about that, asasparagus doesn't like wet feet. It likes good drainage. This plant mm -hmm. 
likes wet feet. Is your asparagus bed uh, a, a little muddy? Is it is it uh, poorly draining? No, the soil is a clay silt loam. Okay, so and it holds a lot of water. It does hold the, the water, but I've got it in a raised bed. And how did uh, do you do you know how the plant got in there? My wife planted it. Okay, good, good, good. So this isn't our problem, Tim. This is this is her problem, and you know codependency is wrong. I I think this should be a learning experience. Uh, you know, you create a problem, you solve a problem, you become a better person, you develop more character. You know, I think that's it. You go, honey, fix this. How old is the asparagus bed? It's about 10 years old. And you say it's in a raised bed, so the bed is framed out. The bed is framed out, yes. Is the chameleon plant staying inside the frame? Oh, no, it goes wherever it can. Right. It, uh, it go, I've found it as deep as a, a foot and a half underground. Right, but I'm, I'm saying it's it spread outside the asparagus bed past the, it went under the uh, divider. Yeah. In fact, it spread from one bed to to another. That's how it wound up in the asparagus. Oh, okay. Um, how much room do you have? How much land? Well, I've got five acres, but about an acre flat. This is the mountains. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, man, I, I you know the truth is you're never going to get it out of there without damaging the asparagus itself. How was your asparagus harvest this year? Are they coexisting? Um, they're not. The asparagus isn't really happy. Yeah. Um, it's getting robbed of a lot of nutrients. Right. And how old is the bed again? It's about 10 years old. Okay. Um, I think the long-term answer, first of all, we're going to have to establish a new asparagus bed. Mm. And then, um, you, you know, there's going to be a lot of digging. There's going to be a lot of flame weeding. However, mm. are you aware that all parts of the chameleon plant are not only edible, uh, but many portions are considered uh, to be uh, a, a very healthy food. Yeah, I've I don't find it palatable. Do you have? I, I try to. Yeah, well, you got to you got to deal with it very specifically. The roots and the leaves are all supposed to be prepared differently. The flowers. Um, uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. Is there any possibility you have any Asian communities in your area? There's a small um, group in, in a couple of towns over. Um, this is like a primary food in Vietnam. This is a this is a very special food. It's a ceremonial food. So um, it I don't think it would be crazy to make some contact, perhaps through the township or churches, community leaders, and say you have a lot of this plant. They'll be immediately familiar with it. You honestly, you want to get it out of your land. Would anyone be interested in coming and collecting it? Um, because I believe the root is dried and used for long-term food. Um, at the very least, they would be familiar with the plant and its removal. Maybe you meet them halfway. Maybe you um, hire them as, as workers for an intensive weekend of cleaning the plant from where it's not supposed to be. And then there wouldn't be any issue about composting it. They're going to take it with them, and they're going to eat it. Right, right. Um, other than that, you know, the, the articles about this say it, it, it can't be stopped. It can only be contained. So yeah. I, how, it's probably spread out over a fairly large area? Not anymore. I've been campaigning hard this spring. Okay, good, good, I've good. I've got it down to where it shows its head about once every three days, and then I immediately nip it off. 
Okay. I'm trying to starve out the root mass. That's what I'm trying to do. You're a smart man. That's exactly exactly what you should do. And when the sprouts that come up really start to look weak and smaller, Mm -hmm. instead of pulling it, and I'm not talking about in the asparagus bed, if you think there's any chance of saving the asparagus, um, but you could get a flame weeder, you know, just Mm -hmm. a a regular garden torch with a small propane bottle, and then you could uh, uh, dehydrate the plant as the new ones come up, or just spray it with regular strength white vinegar from the grocery store when it's tiny. You know, just wear eye protection if you're spraying vinegar. Sure, sure. So that brings me to the pH question. Okay. Asparagus can tolerate about pH of 8. Right. What's the limits on this monster? Boy, I wouldn't know. i I, I got to be honest with you. I would say from what I've read about it and seen and, and the fact that it is one of the most notorious invasive species... Um, in the states, I'd say it can survive a wide range. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Do you do the rock salt thing in your asparagus beds? I haven't done that yet. I heard about that from an old Italian gentleman. Um, he uh, said they used to water with brine in the spring to keep down the weeds. That's exactly correct, and that may be one of your salvations. This is a freshwater weed, not a saltwater weed. So uh-huh. uh, you got plenty of time to read up on it. Um, it can't hurt. It would it would benefit the asparagus, and it might knock back some of this weed. Uh, but I think also what you want to do long term, you want to establish a new asparagus bed, and when then you get to year three, what I would do is take the old bed, and I would I would sterilize it. I would mm-hmm. solarize it, and that involves yeah. soaking the soil completely stretching clear plastic, not black plastic, clear plastic, two mil thick, tightly over the entire area, and then, uh, you know, uh, making sure it stays tight with, uh, with bricks around the outside, and then you let it cook for at least a full season. And obviously it'll kill the asparagus too, but it should give you that bed fresh to use in, in say two seasons. I know you're high up. What's your sun exposure like? I get about six hours of good sun okay. due to some trees. Yeah, I know, because the UV, um, the UV rays at your, at your elevation, I mean, they're 20 to 25% higher than I get um, at 100 feet above sea level in my garden. So that's going to help you. But with that limited sun, I would still leave the plastic on for two years. But again, once you do that little bit of work, you're not fighting it every day. You're rope-a-doping right. it. All I can say is good luck, Tim. you got a big battle there, and, and she owes you big. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> All right, good luck, oh, thank sir. You. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye.
number to call, 833-727-9588. Rob, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey. Hey, how you doing, Rob? I'm fine. It's a, it's a rare, moderately cool day here. And where is here? Newport News, Virginia. Ah, in the Virginia Beach area. Yeah, it's, uh, you're right about that. Enjoy it while you got it, man. Yeah. All right, what can we do you for? Well, I got some roses. I didn't plant them. I just moved to this place, and it had had a nice bed of roses. Mm-hmm. Um, and still does. But the roses have started withering like a day after they bloom. Right. And they, they just get all uh, dried up and ugly and sit there on the stem for a week or so. Okay. Um, how are the leaves doing? How are the leaves of the plants? Well, they're sort of like Swiss cheese. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me see. Yeah, they've got, they've got something's eating them. Yeah. Um, and uh, the roses, are they mulched with anything? Yeah. There appears to be some um, mulched fabric. And then, uh, and then chipped uh, bark or something okay. on top of that. Okay. Yeah, that's killing your roses and attracting, uh-huh. and attracting insects. Um, get rid of the wood mulch. I mean, wood mulch is okay in pathways and things like that, but never around roses. Never, ever. The, uh-huh. only, the only mulch that roses should ever get is compost. Uh, no mulch is better than wood mulch on roses. Okay. And, and the fabric under it as well? See, see if you can pull it out. That stuff gets grassy weeds all through it. It, it turns into a real yes. bear. Oh, um, it's, a, it's a weed patch yeah. all around them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Weeds love weed fabric. They grow right up through it, and it protects them. <laughs> okay. So, But, for instance, if you go out there with a good hoe and you pull away all the wood mulch, like I said, you can use that someplace else, pile it up and compost it. And yeah. then I would use the hoe to just rip holes in the, in the weed mulch, get rid of the weeds. Okay. Um, you should be able to find good quality compost uh, at an independent garden center down there. If not, yeah. uh, I know you have access to pine straw. Uh, somewhere. I, I don't have any in my in my yard but I don't um, mean you personally I mean they sell it in the garden centers there <laughs> yes yes but compost 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 now the lacy leaves are do you see Japanese beetles during the day I have not noticed any okay um, you might have Asiatic beetles which are similar members of the scarab beetle family that fly at night uh, do you have lights on outside near the roses no okay good um, what I would suggest, you get compost, you get rid of that junk down at the bottom, get some good quality, okay. good quality compost, not composted manure, but compost, and okay. mulch, the, mulch the roses real well, and then I would get neem oil, N-E-E-M, okay. and spray the plant heavily, and as soon as you see an affected, um, blossom on your yeah. roses, prune it off. Yeah. If, if you see it's just going to start looking ugly, prune it off and examine the bud really carefully. Down at the var- very base of the bud, you may see a little hole. That's yet, that's yet another insect. That's the, the bud borer that, that goes okay. in there. Ah, okay. So, if, as a matter of fact, if you see on your other buds that they've got those little holes in them, cut them, yeah. all, cut them all off 
really soak the rose bushes with neem oil early in the morning, and then you sh you have plenty of time for rebloom. Okay. Well, I'll I'll try all that. All right. Good luck, sir. And if, if it doesn't work, I'll call you again. I'm here. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Well, things are finally heating up outside, and gardening is great. The flowers are blooming, the veggies are ripening, and all sorts of problems are coming up, aren't they? That's why you need to call 833-727-9588 and ask me, your host, Mike McGrath, what to do on the next You Bet Your Garden. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the beautiful Chautauqua Institute in upstate New York to give a talk about pollinators during the Institute's Comedy Week on Monday, July 29th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to finagle your fish poop and take more of your poopy phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. <laughs> Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, if you have a fish pond, you may have the perfect fertilizer factory in your landscape. We'll explain why it's good, how to harvest it, and everything about putting poop around your plants. In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Barton, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Uh, good morning. How are you? I'm okay, Bart. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. You sound I, like you're getting over a cold. Uh, yes, I am, uh, but I still have a fairly good question, I think. Where are you, Bart? I live uh, in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania. Sure, just outside of Philadelphia. Yes, on the southwest side of Philadelphia. Okay, very good. What can we do for you, sir? Uh, we have, uh, when we moved to this property about 20 years ago, uh, the people living here, uh, they had ivy. And ivy on, on this particular property, uh, it's on a slope where you cannot cut grass. And even it's hard to use one of those weed whackers sure. to cut it and maintain it. And so what happens is that some wild growth grows up there. Mm -hmm. But originally when we came, uh, it was full of ivy. 
Right. And so then the ivy started dying. So I was wondering, does ivy have a lifespan, and or should we just start replanting ivy and possibly the spaces between it so that it can be full so that we don't get all this other wild growth? Boy, that's a that's a tough one, man. Ivy is not known for dying off. There may be some life cycles in there, but ivy is mostly known for growing very aggressively. Now, I should I should remind myself and everybody that as the uh, American Ivy Society always points out, there are many types of ivy. Some are worse behaved, some are better behaved. But let's talk about this slope. Um, so you have a lawn and then you have a slope. What's at the base of the slope? Uh, it goes down into the street uh, because we do not have sidewalk on our street. Mm -hmm. So it just goes down to the curb. Right. Uh, and one person thought maybe that in a winter, uh, some of, some uh, salt may have got on it because we have a our house is on a corner and it's it's a kind of a steep hill going mm -hmm. up. Right. And so they they would put ice on it. I mean not ice. The salt. But they would right. put salt on it in the wintertime. And so now the ivy is sporadically growing, but in a lot of areas. It's just no ivy and very wild yeah, sure. other things growing. So, and the ivy just seems thin. Okay. So when I was growing up in the Tacony Mayfair section of Philadelphia, the way they built our row homes, everybody was the same. We all had um, a series of stoops that came out your front door. Then there was this area. Um, where your lawn was, and your lawn was flat for a while, but then, like you say, it sloped down to the curb, except in our case, of course, we had sidewalks out there, and then there was a little strip of land where we couldn't get anything to grow, and then there was the curb, and then there was the street. I called it the hump because it was my job to mow our lawn, and I had to mow the hump, so I know exactly how difficult that is. And I see people when I'm driving around doing really dangerous things with these um, long ropes or chains, you know, trying to, you know, control a machine going up and down the slope. Right. And what eventually okay. happened in my neighborhood is a, to a home, they decided to, and they didn't know they were doing it, but to terrace it. Uh, in other words, where the slope began, they put in a brick wall and eliminated the slope entirely. And, you know, that reduced the amount of grass, but you, the grass that was, you know, the only people who used the slope were us kids because we would roll down this slope in an attempt <laughs> to split our head open on the pavement. So right. I think that maybe that's another reason people started terracing these things off. Uh, but that is the easiest suggestion. Um, the plants you're talking about, um, you can get plants that'll grow on a slope that'll cover it. Weeds are always going to be an issue. And as you point out, it's very difficult to get at them, very difficult to get at what's growing there. How would you feel if where that slope began, you just cut it off, had all of the, um, all of the dirt and whatever's in there removed and put in a nice brick wall or a poured concrete wall or you know something that would look nice, and then you'd have your solid lawn, and um, you wouldn't have to worry about the slope. 
Uh, no, because I I think it's it's a little too long because it goes from our driveway and it goes about twenty yards to the corner. Okay. So so this this is a pretty long area. Mm-hmm. But the and slope is not gentle, apparently. No, no, it's it's not gentle. It's something that if you it, you try to walk up on it, uh, so it's about twenty yards long. And about maybe five yards up. Okay. So and then that's grass, and then it starts sloping down towards the street. Would you like to have more usable area there? No. No, I just want to cover it so that it doesn't look horrible to everyone else who rides by or people in our neighborhood. But your neighbors must have the same slope. Uh, they do. They do have it, and, and some people have grass in there, and but, but ours is a little more exaggerated than others up the street because, you know, the, the street, we're at the bottom of the hill and it starts going up and it's three homes within this block mm-hmm. and we're at the lower end of the street, but all the homes are at the same level. Okay, so, so listen. Slope okay, is so deeper than everyone else. Right, but the others are growing grass there. Uh, one is growing some ivy. Uh, at the last home, the third home, they're growing grass. Mm-hmm. And how do these two homes look? How is it working? Well, it works good for them. And how, know, do they, mean, how does the one cut the grass? Uh, they have professional people cutting their grass. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, you know, we have ivy in, in another part on the other side of the driveway, and that's a slope also. And mm-hmm. the thing about it is that ivy is really pretty thick. So yeah. I was thinking, was it that uh, it, was, it wasn't it was planted close enough together yeah. so that it could prevent things? Or, it's, or, so, it's so hard to say. It is really okay. unusual for ivy to die off, but it right. does happen. Um, okay. If you really want to continue this, I, you know, you're going to have to get down on your hands and knees. You're going to have to get help. You're going to have to get in there and weed out all the stuff you don't want. But then uh, go get more ivy. And right. the best time to do this, quite honestly, is not now. The best time to do this is like mid-August through September because hopefully it's going to get burning hot, and that really reduces the chances of new plantings taking well. But, um, you know, cut off some of your ivy uh, so you can identify it and then go out and buy the same or if the area is really thick and that ivy is starting to spread where you don't want it, take those extra areas and replant the area you had. Although, again, were I you, I would take maybe 10 yards of that and push it back up, level out the lawn, put a wall in front of it, and not have to worry <laughs> about it again. That would be very that, – that would be very – I think that would be more expensive. Well, it, it would be – it would be more expensive, but let's let's you know take again. I'll meet you in the middle. Let's you know get out there with earth moving equipment. Push ten or fifteen <laughs> yards back up until everything is level, and uh-huh. then build a nice solid wall around it. And now you've got planting areas. You can cover that wall with containers in the summer. You could grow. Um, you could grow dozens of pepper plants. You could have flowers trailing down over the wall. You wouldn't have to constantly be worried about the ivy dying out or weeds in it. Um, I think long term, 
that's the correct solution. But if you want to replant the ivy, make sure you use the same species that's growing really well and do it, as I said, sometime between August 15th and September 30th. All right, Bart? Yeah, all right. Thank you very much. I appreciate your advice. All right. Good luck, sir. Okay. Have a good day. Number to call, 833-727-9588. Jamie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jamie. How are you doing? I'm very well, better than I deserve. <laughs> That's interesting. Where is Jamie better than she deserves? I, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right. What can we do for <laughs> Jamie in Pittsburgh, PA? So I bought a house in Pittsburgh in Dormont uh, a little over a year ago, and I followed your advice to not do much with it the first year. Mm -hmm. um, home is like many homes in Pittsburgh where it's on a steep slope, slope in the back of the house, and then it levels off, and then there's another steep, steep slope that goes down to the road. Um, and I'm lucky that I have um, a little over a third of an acre, which is unusual for where I am. And there are seven large maple trees, so it's very shaded. Mm. On the front slope that goes from the house down to the road, um, the house was previously owned by an older gentleman who's since passed away. It's very overgrown. Um, and so there are a lot of things that I need to get rid of to make it um, more visually appealing. But there are things that I want to keep as well. So there's Pachysandra, there's some Vinca, um, there is a peony bush. There are some like good things that I want to keep, but there is also that Japanese bamboo, there's poison ivy, and I can't get the ground cover to grow as fast as the weeds grow. Um, I have arborist mulch, like from a tree being cut down and the mm -hmm. wood chips left over, but I'm afraid to put that down because I don't know if I'm then suffocating the ground cover. But I yeah, can't you can't you it. can't mulch a ground cover. Um, you say you have quote Japanese bamboo. Do you actually mean that you have running bamboo that advances underground? I, um, I thought it was called Japanese bamboo. It's the stuff that like takes over everything and it's yes. hard to pull out. That's called that's called to... running bamboo or arrow bamboo. I okay. don't I don't believe it is native to Japan. There are many types of bamboo. The nice ones are called clumping bamboos, and they stay in a tight circle that grows. But your running bamboo is an issue that needs to be dealt with. Now, does it originate on your property? It doesn't, but it's directly across the lot in a like abandoned wooden area. So oh, it's not like man. I could just say, hey, neighbor, can you get this taken care of? Okay. So... Um, Talk to your homeowner's insurance company. The bamboo has to be stopped. If it isn't stopped, it will eventually get to the point where it will undermine the foundation of your home. If it's growing out of an abandoned lot, you're in trouble because the laws specify that um, whoever has the bamboo growing first on their property has to remove it from everybody else's. But if it's an anonymous lot, you may have to chase down a bank or whoever owns it, which might, um, might be a good possibility. How far has it encroached onto your property? Um, it is in various spots, primarily right on that lot that I'm talking on the spot that I'm talking about, but it is elsewhere on in the yard. Okay, uh, that's it's not. So far, I've been able to just, I'm going to say, pull it out, but yeah. I know that it still comes back. It's right. So your least expensive option here, while you're pursuing uh, the idea of somebody helping you financially with this, is to hire a specialized uh, landscaper. 
and you all have, uh, you should have a list at a website called AmericanBamboo.org. Um, they are the specialists that it's, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who are members of that site who love the bamboo and who grow it responsibly. But of course, as you can imagine, there's also a lot of removal advice. So what you want to do, uh, I, do you know your property line between you and this lot? Okay. Yeah, it, there's a, there's a road actually. So when it's, it, I assume that it's just coming over somehow. Uh, a road street. with cars. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's running bamboo. It's just okay. if you could see underneath, it would be the creepiest alien thing that you've ever seen. But that's good because the road is weakening it, which is probably yeah. why the stuff coming up on your side um, is is pretty puny so far. What you want to do now is stop it from getting established. So you want to you hire a landscaper, they will dig a trench, and they will install what's called rhizome barrier that will keep the bamboo on the other side. And then it's up to you or maybe them uh, to be removing any bamboo that's left over on your side. I realize you want to grow things in your shade, but this is hugely important. This is the most important thing you have facing you right now. Okay. And so once I get the bamboo out, what can I do to encourage the good stuff to grow faster than the weeds do? Well, that's always the problem with ground covers. Things like Pachysandra and Vinca is they are prone to weeds. I have found Vinca actually um, to be much better at preventing weeds. And and I think it's prettier, especially when it blooms in the spring. So um, what you would do, and again, um, you know, you're in Pittsburgh, which is a weird climate with the mountains all around you. Um, Your summers really don't get intensely hot, not as hot Mm -hmm. as, say, a city like Philadelphia. So um, if you want to get started now, you know, with with all the rain everybody's been having, I would suggest you go heavy on the Vinca. You know, at this time of year, you may be able to get real bargains at garden centers. They may have flats left over from the spring that they'll be happy to sell you at a high discount. Uh, the way to establish these ground covers is just really put them in really thick to begin with, and then they'll grow faster than the weeds. And okay. where you are, you can plant fresh vinca from now through the end of September. And it, oh, sh- and it should be able to um, uh, establish well. What I would do is I would call every independent local garden center and say very specifically, do you have vinca left over? Do you have beds of vinca? And if they say yes, then say, well, w- what can you do for me? I mean, I'll take as many as you have if the price is right. And you should be able to get anywhere from 30 to 50% off because they they don't want to carry it over forever. Go to Garden Center, Garden Center, Garden Center, and boom, you put your discount Vinca in thickly. Um, (laughs) If for any reason, I'm serious, I'm serious, because it it is going to grow and spread. But the more you start with, the less weeds are going to happen. Thank you so much. Well, it's time for me to take a little break. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening and or watching You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. (laughs) 
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at PBS 39 WLVT in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, beautiful Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll be getting to one of my favorite subjects, pond scum. And I don't mean any personal remarks there. I mean real scum from real ponds. Wait till you hear what you can do with it. And you will hear what you can do with it after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ada. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. And where is Ada well? Luther, Oklahoma. Now, is that near any of my normal places like Oklahoma City and Norman? Yes. Okay. Uh, about 30 minutes east of Oklahoma City. Okay, very good, very good. What can we do for Ada in Oklahoma? Well, I have a peach orchard, or what used to be a peach orchard. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry for you. And, I've, yeah, I've had horrible problems with um, peach borers. I've tried neem oil. I've tried, uh, what's that other stuff? No, I, the other, the that, other oil that you spray? Yeah, insecticidal soap horticultural oil it yeah. doesn't matter you know uh peach borers are a very difficult pest they killed i had 15 peach trees i installed years and years ago and one by one the borers took them out despite my best efforts peaches are in my opinion the most difficult fruit tree to grow whether you're a professional an amateur organic chemical they are just really difficult. There's a couple of places in the country where they grow better, but otherwise they're fairly weak, short-lived trees. The reason, of course, they're so popular is there's nothing that compare with the taste of, of a peach on a warm summer day. Right. So uh, how, are, are all your trees dead yet? Actually, I have one that has survived. Um, it's, I planted it in 2007, and it is still going. Okay. And how many have you lost? Oh, 30, probably <laughs> over the years. Whoa, you beat me, yeah. <laughs> and where are you getting your stock? Um, I used to get it from Stark Brothers. Mm-hmm. Mail order. Um, I, I, I don't know. No, mail I mean, order. My friends have just right. as good a luck, and they get theirs at Home Depot, so. Okay. Uh, oh, well, yeah, I wouldn't recommend Home Depot. Uh, you have some very nice independent garden centers in the Oklahoma area. Okay. Um, the big box stores are, are not the best place to buy plants. You want to buy your pots there, you know, that's fine. You want to buy your grill there, that's fine. But when you buy plants, you really want to buy them at a nursery, at a local garden center. You know, especially in, in Oklahoma, uh, uh, places like this are, are as important as family farms. I mean, they've been run by generations. They're always threatened, you know, farms by development and the f garden centers by the big box stores. But the advantage is a lot of the people there really know what they're talking about, where at Home Depot, 
the guy selling you your peach trees might have been working in washing machines the day before. Right. So this is, you know, if you're going to be serious about growing peaches, it is an investment of time and money. So I would urge you, if you want to do this, to start over, um, visit some local garden centers, and also call the Oklahoma Extension Office and find out what varieties they recommend for your region and which varieties have some level of resistance to these insects that bore into the peach trees. Um, then, then when, I would urge you to plant them in the fall, not in the spring, so that they get you know, the benefit of some relatively mild weather before they have to um, deal with a lot of stress. Um, right. And I would urge you to use flexible plant guards. Um, you know, there's these plastic plant guards that go up the trunk to protect them from deer and rabbits and stuff like that. Um, okay. They're supposed to be on the plants for the first couple of years. They expand with the trunk. They're a good first line of defense uh, against, I think it is, is it a wasp? I don't think it's, uh, it's a moth that lays the eggs. But um, it's been a while since I've uh, thought about it, to be honest. So... Uh, you can buy traps, peach tree borer traps, and you I would. Did that. And what did you do with them? I hung them out in the trees and did what they said to do, and I didn't. I didn't really see much. Okay. I mean, I didn't. I didn't get much. Maybe I did it at the wrong time of year. I'm not sure. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to set the traps out in the spring, and also talk to your extension service about the emergence time in your area, um, and look in the traps every day. Don't hang them in the trees. Hang them near the trees. And as soon as you see the insect in one of the traps, you take all the traps down, and then you simply wrap around those tree guards or now around the base of the tree with medical gauze or some other light, loose blocking material. In my experience, the borers almost always attack down low. So right. if, if, it's, if it's that problematic, and especially in your hot climate, you could actually paint the bottom of the trunk with white latex paint. Uh, that would keep the tree cooler in your miserably hot summers and, again, act as a deterrence. And you're always going to have to keep your eyes open because sometimes some, some of my trees bled like Chuck Wepner. I mean, I would go out and there would be 30 holes oozing sap. And I would just, yes. you know, realize yep. it's, uh, it, it's a non-starter. So uh, things like uh, a, a neem oil um, or horticultural oil, you'd have to be soaking the pest to really be effective. Um, these boring insects are some of the hardest to control. But uh, one other thing you can do is there's a product called Surround. Are you familiar with it? Surround? No, I'm not. Yeah, that's what Gardens Alive calls it. It's a clay spray, uh, just micronized clay. After your plants uh, have finished flowering and they're producing their little fruits, you would start, you would mix this powder in a big backpack sprayer, and you would spray the trees, covering them in this white powder. And yes, it's going to look like Christmas in July in your, in your backyard, uh, but it is remarkable. 
It coats the leaves, coats the peaches, keeps insects off, keeps um, disease off. It is absolutely your best shot at getting peaches and keeping these nasty creatures out of your trees. Okay. And I get that. Where where am I? Well, Gardens Alive, who they help under okay. they help support the show. They sell it as surround. S U R R O U N D. I don't okay. I don't know if it's proprietary. You can look around and see if it's for sale retail, but you can definitely get it from Gardens Alive. They actually help develop it. Okay. All right. Awesome. That's, that's your best shot, and it's totally non-toxic. Thank you so much. All right. Good luck. All righty. You too, Mike. Bye-bye. Bye. As promised, it is time for the question of the week which we are calling, Is Fish Poop Good for Your Plants? Jim in Harleysville, PA writes, I'm a fairly new listener of your podcast, and I first want to say that I love listening to you on my way back and forth from work. And I have a question regarding using my pond waste as fertilizer. I have a 700-gallon pond in my backyard. Every few weeks, I flush out the filter. What comes out is decaying fish poop, fish food, and plant waste. It is an extremely nasty-smelling thick liquid. Anyway, I've been pouring this nasty liquid at the base of my rose bushes with unbelievable results. It's been making them grow and bloom like crazy. So my question is, would this liquid be safe to use in my vegetable garden? I am a little leery to try it because of how bad this stuff smells, and I don't want it to affect the taste of my vegetables. Lastly, I am a home brewer trying my hand at growing hops for the first time and was also wondering if I could use this nasty liquid on the hops without affecting their ability to flavor beer. Bottom line, that nasty smelling decoction of fish poop, decaying fish food, rotting plants, and more than likely guano from the birds circling overhead dreaming of a fish dinner just might be the single best plant food imaginable, Jimbo. Now, everybody knows about, quote, fish fertilizer, a nutrient-dense product made from the leftovers when fish are processed for food. And while it can be a good fertilizer on its own, it has its limitations. One, it can be very high in nitrogen, which grows big plants but can inhibit flowering and fruiting. That makes it perfect for growing sweet corn, but not for tomatoes and peppers. Second, some batches of one of the original brands of fish fertilizer that was available in stores in the very early days have been found to have very high levels of chlorine, as in chlorine bleach. And that's not good for gardens. If you are not lucky enough to have your own poopy pond and want to incorporate some kind of fishy fertilizer in your landscape, look for combination products that include both fish and seaweed. Only organically approved ones, of course. I digress. Hey, I also breathe. I read comic books. I play pinball. And, um, where? Oh, yeah. That wonderful muck that collects at the bottom of your pond and in your filtration system is not fish per se. It is the fecal matter of fish, which is rich in a well-balanced variety of essential plant nutrients, plus all kind of micronutrients and a huge amount of biological activity. It's also in liquid form, 
which means that those nutrients become available to your plants much faster than any kind of granular material. And it will increase the biological life of your soil as well. Wait, wait, there's more. There is no one type of, quote, fish food, but most contain ingredients like soybean and fish meal that are used directly as organic fertilizers. They're high in protein, and they also contain all kind of groovy vitamins and minerals and such to keep your fish healthy that are also good for your plants. And then there's your muck, that wonderful combination of fish poop, uneaten fish food, rotting plant material, and well, you know, just plain muck. Side note, the creator of Organic Gardening magazine, J.I. Rodale, always felt that compost that was made utilizing aquatic plants was tremendously beneficial to plant life. So having those dead plants in there is another boost for your live plants. Now, it is not much of an exaggeration to suggest that harvesting and reusing your muck is an imitation of the agricultural richness that results when the Nile floods, depositing all those rich nutrients onto the surrounding land. And the response of your rosebush growth and its enthusiastic flowering strongly suggests that your muck is the perfect food for other fruiting plants like tomatoes and peppers. And no, they're not gonna smell like the swamp thing on a humid day. You wanna be sure, easy test. Cut some roses and bring them inside. Rinse off the stems to get rid of any splashed on muck. Put them in the water and sniff the blooms. They will smell like roses, not fishy flowers. Same for your vegetable garden and same for your ambitious project of growing hops. Good luck with that, by the way. And send me a double hopped IPA if you are successful. I would caution against using your muck as a fertilizer if the pond were surrounded by a treated lawn but I doubt that that would be the case as the lawn herbicides would kill the fish long before they could poop enough to fill a thimble. I personally would rinse out the filter in a large container of water and then immediately water that diluted result around the roots of my plants. Ideally first thing in the morning when the living organisms in the muck are gonna be able to get down in the ground before being degraded by sunlight. Just be sure you use it right away after you mix it up. As with compost tea, the beneficial life forms in the liquid depend on oxygen to remain beneficial. So use your fishy poopy water as soon as possible. And if it's easy to do so, add some muck from the bottom of your pond from time to time. That's some fine tomato food sitting down there. Well, that sure was some timely advice about the value of pond scum now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read the details at your leisure or leisure. Because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to purloin my poop if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our email shore 
at YBYG at WLVT.org. M-O-U-S-E. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our podcast at our website. Repeat with me, kids, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Harold and Nancy McGrath. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our cheerful engineer is Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our associate producer of Production Association. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Jake Boyer. Our director is Javier Diaz. Our cameraman is Jeff Frederick. Our marketing director is Jim McDonald. Our chief techno officer is Andy Cummins. And I'm your host, Mike McGrath. And I'll see you again next week. This is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. What tantalizing topic will we attack next week? Will there be a guest? Lots of your fabulous phone calls. Will the credits be funny? I'm Mike McGrath, and we'll find out together on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden.